Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homewood Park Baptist Church. It's time to press on into the new year. I've got a good friend of mine who his sign-off, anytime he would write a letter or any email or a text, he'd always say, keep pressing on. And I think that that's a great encouragement to us all, that uh, no matter when we get knocked down or when we're on the top of the mountain, we need to keep pressing on. And so it's time to start thinking about those New Year resolutions, isn't it? Those pounds that we will try to lose or the Bible plans that we will pick and try to read or the (coughs) changes we want to make and so on and so on. I'm just curious, has anybody stayed faithful with the new any just one new year resolution from last year it's okay be proud if you have okay we've got we've got a couple yeah i've seen a couple people that have have done that and it doesn't feel good to say hey i committed to do something and and i did it and and for some people they they did that and for some people the commitment lasted not quite a year for some not quite a half a year for some not quite a month for some, not quite a week, maybe even just a couple of days, but it's okay. We can make resolutions and we can make commitments and we can make plans, but ultimately, whether we succeed in them or whether we don't, we need to continue to move forward. And so it is so good to know that when we make a commitment to Christ, that that commitment is not solely based on our ability To meet that commitment. Let me say that one more time. That when we commit to Christ, that commitment is not solely based on our ability to meet that. The great thing is, is that when we commit to Christ, Christ commits to us. The fact that Jesus is working in our lives to help us keep the very commitments he asks of us. And this is a commitment that we make in his strength. And not our own when we commit to Christ. So as time moves on, you and I must continue in our efforts to live the life God has prepared us for. You see, this is only possible through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And ultimately us depending upon him. Look, you have got many things going for you. Some of you have the wisdom of your years. Some of you have the energy of your youth. Some of you have a good financial nest egg. Some of you just have a good work ethic. And some of you may have not a whole lot at all. But wherever we are at, we must find that one thing to stack those things on. We must find that one thing that is going to keep us moving. Now, for most of us, number one is our stomachs. We keep working because we want to be able to eat. We want to provide for families. We want to to be able to live in this world. But if all you're doing is making enough money to live, you're not living at all, folks. You're just surviving. And so we see here the Apostle Paul was a perfect example of someone who just rolled with the punches. Whatever life threw his way, He remained faithful to tell others about Jesus in the good and in the bad. So may 2020 be the year that you and I press on by shifting our focus, not from ourselves, 
but to Jesus. Now, I know you're sitting out there, and if, if I were you sitting out there, I would say, yeah, this is that message. It's that time for the preacher to preach about make Jesus your number one in 2020. And don't, don't let that forsake you, and don't let that take the weight of this away. Just because you expect to hear that, just because you know it, and sometimes it's worked, and sometimes it hasn't, look at it with a fresh pair of eyes. Look at it with a fresh heart and say that this is going to be my one thing in 2020. And so as we think about that, let's look at our key verse for this morning, or a couple of verses. It's in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And he says, Paul speaking, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have reached perfection. I love that. Even Paul says, look, I am not perfect. But, he says, but I press on for the process of the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. In other words, he's saying, I am possessing that perfection because Christ has possessed me. My friend, if you have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, whether you were a child or whether it was last week or whether it may even be today, it may be your day. But the thing is, is that when you pray to receive Christ, He possesses you. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. And we are to honor God with our bodies. So don't just think that, okay, I'm going to church I'm a Christian. No, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, He possesses you. He owns you. And He wants to work in your life. And He says in verse 13, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. And here we go. Here is your aha moment. This is your points. This is your list. This is how you can get better in 2020 right here. And it's not my words. It's Paul that says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past, but looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. This one thing is what he says. My question to you and to myself this morning is, what is your one thing? Only you can answer that. Don't get me wrong. We have all kinds of things that we have to work on, that we have to focus on. But what is our one thing? What is the filing system that we put it on? In other words, when we look at everything in our lives and we put on the glasses or the lenses of how we view this world, when we look at our world, What one thing are we looking through? Are we looking through the lens of selfishness? Or are we looking through the lens of what Christ wants for us? When is the last time any of us could focus on one thing? We live in a fast-paced, instant gratification, multitasking world. And many here this morning would love to have only one thing to focus on. But the truth of the matter is that we all have one focus, ultimately. The one thing we focus on affects everything else we see, 
hear, say, and hope for. Let me give you an example of focusing on one thing. There was a pretty big football game on last night. Anybody watch it? Yeah. If you can't tell, I'm going to be dying here in about a minute because, man, that was a barn burner. That was a, a battle. And whether you're a fan of either one of those teams or not, it provides a great illustration for you to get the point I'm trying to make. Those teams, both of them, went into it, what, 12-0? and 0? Is that right? Okay. Huh? Third, I thought they were 12 and then they became 13. Okay, 13 now, 14. Okay, got it. Got my athletic contingent over there. They're going to get me straight. But it's not about the score. It's not about what trophies they got. It's not about who broke what records. The main thing for that ball team, for both ball teams, the one job they have is to get points. That is your job. Now, to get points, it takes 11 people on offense, 11 people on defense, and all the coaches and all the support and all these people to make that happen. But your one thing is to score points. So if you forget your one thing is to score points, you're not going to be a good team. And so the thing is, is that in our lives, we can have all of these things and, and, and ways that we work to serve the Lord and to serve our families and, and to serve ourselves. But our one thing, the, the, the goal, the score, the, the measurement of success is what are we doing with our relationship with Jesus Christ? Paul's one thing was reaching perfection in Jesus Christ. He says that in verse 12. My one thing is reaching perfection in Jesus Christ. And I don't stand before you as a perfect man. I am far from perfect and I don't need any amens. But the truth of the matter is, is that you're not perfect either. But that's the beautiful thing about being a believer is that we are in the process of being perfected. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. But in verse 12, it says, But I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Folks, your one thing will determine the way you see your life. I'll never forget, when I was younger, my one thing is I cannot wait till I get old enough to be a teenager. Woo, that's going to be the best, best living in the world. And when you become a teenager, I don't know about today, but it used to be, Man, when I get that driver's license, I'm going to be free as a bird. Then you get the license, then you have to get a job to keep a car going and insurance. Oh boy, when I can finally get married. Oh, when I can finally get kids. Oh, when I can finally get a job. Oh, when I can finally retire. Oh, when I can finally rest. It's just that there's always something else that we're striving for. But Paul's one thing was to reach his perfection in Jesus Christ. And Paul's conversion became his one thing. He says in Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9, it says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. And for the sake I discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. 
Just like a young son or daughter grabs their daddy's shoes and puts their feet in them and thinks about one day when they will grow up and fill those shoes. We fill out the shoes that God has before us. We fill out. Think about it. The things that you have gone through this year are much more severe than they were the year before and the year before. You have grown into your faith. You are stronger prayerfully today than you were yesterday, which means if that stands true, you will be stronger tomorrow, God willing. Because He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. If He is the one thing, that is the one thing that can remain constant. But pressing on requires effort. We see that making Jesus your one thing allows you to move forward. I love this. He says in verse 14, actually the first, second half of 13, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling. This is a process. I'm going to give you a big church word, okay? Here's a church word. It's called sanctification. Can you say sanctification, boys and girls? Good. I knew you could. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. But the truth of the matter is, is that sanctification is one of those good preacher words. But what does it mean? Sanctification simply means it's the process of you and I striving to be more like Jesus. That's what sanctification means. It means that we are set apart to be used by God. And that process is what Paul is talking about. So when he says, forget the past... How in the world can you drive your vehicle by only looking in the rearview mirror? You will hit it. I mean, you'll hit something, you'll run into something because you're not looking to where you're going because you're too busy looking in the rearview mirror. My friend, you've got to stop letting your past own you in everything that you do. You've got to stop letting your past haunt you and tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not worthy enough, that all of these other things that are being accused of, when Jesus is saying, look, I don't know what you're talking about because I've paid for all of that with my blood. We've got to stop living in the past. And Paul is telling us to forget the past, to dwell and be distracted by the past sabotages your efforts. In the present. Some of you can't be present in your life now because you're letting your past dictate the way you see it. While God promises you a future, Satan will always remind you of your past. But that's okay. Let me tell you something about your past. Let me tell you something about my past. Your past and my past is exactly what has brought us to this point today. So as Donna sang a few minutes ago, I am thankful for the scars that have brought me to where I am today. And I pray that you can see the same, is that you can have hope for the future. Jeremiah 29, 11, you hear every, every year around graduation services for the, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for your good and not disaster to give you future and a hope. And to what lies ahead, Proverbs 16, 9 says, 
We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Making Jesus your one thing secures your destination as well. As we look back here, it says in verses 15 through 21. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some points, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and from those who follow our example. What a bold prayer. Paul is saying that Paul, the same man who used to be called Saul, the man that used to persecute and kill Christians, is now the one trying to convert them. And so Paul is saying, look, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just follow me. Just follow me. I've always heard that uh, one of the scariest parts of being a parent is when you realize everything that you say and do is being recorded by that little video camera called a child. And then eventually they're going to play back something that they have seen. Remember one guy saying one time, if you let a word slip, you will hear it almost immediately come back out of their mouth. Because they want to be like you. They, they want to, they want to grow and they want to learn it. And when they're young, they want to, you're their hero. And then when they get to be teenagers, they know way more than you do. And then after they become teenagers and they become adults, they come back and say, how did you get me through this? And then when they have children, the grandparents get together, uh-huh. Karma. How easy is it now? And then they get to spoil these grandchildren and then go home. It's a life circle, isn't it? But the truth of the matter is, is that these children want to be like you. And Paul is saying, look, if you don't understand, follow me. And we need men and women in this church. We need men and women in this community and in this world to say, look, I am not perfect, but follow me because I'm doing the best that I can. And I will mentor, I will disciple, I will help bring you along the way. We need people to do that like Paul is doing. Because our families and our church and our community and our world need men and women of God who will bravely live out their faith so that others can follow it. You don't need to be a model of perfection, folks. I I don't know about you, but I've seen Christians that thought that they were perfect. And to be quite honest with you, I wouldn't want to follow them anywhere. Because if they think they're perfect, they are misguided. And they are full of pride. I, if anybody, all of you know me, and, and you know that, that I'll tell you, look, if, if I'm in a situation, look, I, I am human. And I have faults just like everybody else. But I also have forgiveness. And I'm doing the best that I can. And so are you. We need people to do that. He says in verse 20, excuse me, in verse 18, he says, For I told you often before, I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many of those whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction, and their God is their appetite, and they brag about shameful things, and they think only about the life here on earth. Remember, Paul is writing this to the church of Rome. 
These are Christian people he's talking about. The Christian misguided, the false believers, the people that are in too much love with the world rather than Christ. In verse 20, but we are citizens of heaven. I tell you what, it's it's amazing when we went to New York or anytime you go to some place that is not Anderson, South Carolina, especially if it's a bigger city, you're going to hear languages that you've never heard before. Some of them that you can't even understand. And, and it, it never fails. Have you ever been somewhere outside of town, especially up north or something like this, in one of those God-forsaken places that don't know what sweet tea is? Or they don't know what a biscuit is? Oh, man, there's poor people. But then you'll sit down and you'll say, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll say something, and then others are like, oh, my goodness, did you hear them? Say it again. And you're like, you got any sweet tea? Oh, say it again. It's so funny. And then so you, you find somebody that's got a good southern draw, especially if they're from Alabama, right? But you find somebody that's got a good southern draw. Hey, y'all got some sweet tea in here? And just really milk it out. And you will have people that are, say it again, say it again. Because they just think it's so funny and so cool. And man, listen to this hick. He came right off of, of uh, the Andy Griffith show. And they'll say, man, you know, talk again, talk again. Because the accent is not what they're used to. And sometimes when you hear people that say something that is not from, you know, you you look at them and say, you know what, you ain't from around here, are you? (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, folks, what Paul is saying here is that the way we live our lives and the way that we talk, our accent should represent our Christian faith. To where when we speak and when we act and when we treat people, it is so different from what they are used to that this world does that they want to know more. If you are a Christian, that means that you are a little Christ. You are a representation of Christ. He says in verse 20, and we eagerly wait the return of our Savior. And we will take our weak moral, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like this own, like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Here's a little uh, reality check. We all are waiting for one thing. We are eagerly waiting for him, Jesus Christ, to return as Savior and Lord. We just finished celebrating Christ's birth. In a few months, we will celebrate His resurrection. So if we believe in His birth, and if we believe and celebrate His resurrection, we've got to believe in His return. But too many of us are living like that's not going to happen. But one day, the sky will split, and the dead in Christ will rise. And be transformed. And we will meet Him in the air. And go to the new heaven and the new earth. And it will be glorious. But we don't just sit here and wait for it. We need to be active. We need to be about His business. Last but not least, we see that making Jesus your one thing will take action. And it says in Hebrews 12... Verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded 
by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily rips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people, and you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. Folks, this verse tells us that if we want to make Jesus our one thing, the actions that we will have to take is we will need to shed what holds us back. We will have to run God's race instead of plotting our own course. We will need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to remember Jesus' struggles and victories. And we need to endure. (laughs) 